Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Vera Michelin Shapir, author of Fluid Russia, Between the Global and the National in the Post-Soviet Era. Vera is a visiting research fellow at the King's Center for Strategic Communications, King's College, London. We spoke to Vera about why the Western conventional wisdom about Russia is fundamentally incomplete why Russia can be considered patient zero when it comes to the populist wave of anti-globalization and the rise of neo-authoritarian regimes, and why Putin's regime as a political system actually depends very much on Russia being part of the global world. Hello, Vera. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and we want to congratulate you on your new book, Fluid Russia Between the Global and the National in the Post-Soviet Era. We, uh, I love the quote that you have in the beginning of the book uh, by Zygmunt Bauman, which says, we live in a globalizing world. That means that all of us, consciously or not, depend on each other. Now, there's a conventional wisdom about Russia's national identity right now. And in your case, you think the conventional wisdom needs to be <laughs> updated. Tell us what the conventional wisdom, uh, how that inspired you to write this book. Yes, so um, indeed, um, actually Zygmunt Bauman was one of the inspirations, his writing was uh, one of the inspirations uh, for, for writing this book. And um, I was researching this topic, Russian national identity for quite a while. And, and the reason that I was researching it for so long is that there is a very sort of rich debate, uh, both academic and public in Russia and in the West on Russian national identity. And there is a kind of um, common understanding that it is in crisis. Um, Russians themselves speak about their national identity as an identity that's in crisis. Um, and then there are two groups of thoughts of thought on this. So one group is saying basically uh, Russian national identity is in crisis because this, there is a historical continuity to that. So since the Romano, since the Russian empire, this identity was always crisis ridden and it's because of Russia's geography and Russia's history and Russia's and, and the Tsar and, and the Soviets. And it was always sort of a, a, murky, a, a murky situation for Russian identity. And so now we see the continuation of that in the form of this post-Soviet uh, um, national identity crisis. And then there is the other group that is saying, well, actually, there is something quite novel here. And this is the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, and the collapse of the Soviet Union sort of prompted this um, big identity crisis that is linked to, well, what is often described as kind of the Weimar, Vi sort of Weimar Gen German uh, syndrome, yeah? So Weimar Russia, so loss uh, in the Cold War, the loss in the Cold War. Um, humiliation, loss of territory, population, resources. And so this is the kind of, this is what, what sets the, the, the field for, for a discussion national identity. National identity. Um, and for me, um, specifically, when I was reading, um, when I was reading literature on current identity formation and challenges to identity formations, formation in the global world, I, I felt like there was a disconnect between these debates, between the debates that were going on in the West and the debates that were going on in Russia. And Russia for me was very obviously part of this global world, but kind of there was a disconnect in terms of, of the literature, of the, of the discussion. 
And it was also strange for me that uh, there was constant talk about Russian identity crisis. But for me, identity is always a question mark. Identity always needs to be defined. So why is it so strange that the Russians, that the Russians also need to define their identity? It's a process. Um, and so um, the literature, the, the theoretical literature by Sigmund Bauman and, and Anthony Giddens very much inspired me to sort of try and write the Russian, the Russian path and the Russian question mark around its identity into this global story and to bridge this, this gap in the literature. Excellent, excellent. Well, your book uh, very deftly ties Russia's authoritarian politics to the shortcomings of globalization and neoliberal economics. Within this new understanding, you describe Russia as patient zero uh, of the anti-globalist populist wave and the rise of neo-authoritarian regimes. Tell us more about this. Yes, so this is a very <laughs> kind of important point to make here, which is that I um, constantly in the introduction and when I speak about the book, I say that there is actually nothing that abnormal about Russian current identity search and the feeling that it is that there is some kind of crisis. Um, but the fact that it's not abnormal doesn't make it fine. <laughs> it doesn't make what happens in Russia, in Russian politics, what happens with the current regime in Russia, it doesn't kind of um, whitewash the, the problems that are there. Um, actually, in fact, what I'm saying is that I'm refocusing the problem. So the problem is not necessarily with what happens within the walls of the Kremlin or what happens in Russian politics, but the problem is, is broader. And the problem is that the disruptions that are created by kind of this uneven globalization um, and specifically, well, specifically in our kind of a transition between a classical modernity where the state was more involved in people's lives and late modernity when the state withdraws and allows neoliberal economics to sort of manage society, but it doesn't really manage society. It leaves a lot of insecurity. Um, and this insecurity basically kind of creates, almost intrinsically creates this calls for more kind of firmer hand uh, and, and sets the ground really for, for, for new authoritarian regimes. So in Russia, actually, what we saw is that, and this is a really, I think, a fascinating example of this because everything happened so fast. In the 90s, Russia opened almost kind of, it wasn't in a day, but it was such a, a, such a, a baptism by fire, sort of how Russia opened to the global world with, with radical neoliberal economic reforms. And society was transforming, transforming so rapidly, but also the pushback came very, very quickly. Yes, um, so this this kind of pushback of of going of well for Russia it was going back, but of this gravitation towards authoritarianism, um, it happened also very, very fast. Yes, it certainly did. Certainly did. A kind of a whiplash effect. So your your the book is titled you've called it Fluid Russia and fluidity. Uh, one of the things when I think of fluidity, I think of time. And you have a, a fascinating example of Putin attempting to unify the Russian calendar by, by promoting two types of holidays, military and religious. Tell us about this initiative and how successful was it in unifying the country? Yes. So when Putin comes uh, to power, he actually, he see, I mean, he's almost... Um, 
as I describe it in the book, it's almost kind of a, a natural. And, and this is what people who lived in Russia in the late 1990s described. It was kind of a, a natural flow of events. Yes, all this insecurity. And suddenly there was a person who is saying, well, trust me, I can fix this. You know, just, just let me fix this for you. Um, and so his kind of rise to power is, 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 I mean, not smooth, but, you know, relatively like he, he is the right man in the right, in the right time, uh, in the right place. And one of the things that he finds is that, is that this insecurity around identity is often, is often connected to time <laughs> and to the construction of time. And when I write about time, I write about historical time, national time, personal time. These are all things that are kind of bound to, that are, that are interconnected in the analysis and it's, and it's very, very crucial. So actually the book, it looks at, at different spheres of policy. It looks at migration and citizenship and media discourse, but I finished the book with, with, um, with analysis of the national calendar and there, uh, both in the 1990s, but specifically under Putin, a lot of interesting things are happening because he really shapes and molds the national calendar to help people sort of fixate their identity, to help people feel more secure. And um, the reason that, uh, that Putin um, kind of takes military and, and religious issues and forms the national calendar around them is that actually because they're quite popular and there is quite a lot of reciprocity uh, in Putin's regime with kind of popular trend, as was described in the book by uh, Samuel Green and um, Graham Robertson, uh, Putin versus people. So he takes these two, these two um, themes and he tries kind of almost a Durkmanian kind of like Emil Durkheim described what high holidays work. So Emil Durkheim's understanding of holidays is that every day we go on our daily business and then during holidays we all perform the same routines, we all unify and we all kind of bind ourselves together as a collective. And so holidays are very important for, for asserting collective identity. And, and with Putin, I mean, he, he really, he saw that in the 1990s, the, the the calendar was kind of unraveling and he was gathering it around themes that were already popular. And one excellent example are celebrations of Victory Day in Russia, 9th of May, which became kind of, it was very popular in the 1990s actually, but um, it became very, sort of it became the national holiday for Putin. It's kind of a new sanctity in, in Russia. And for many people, this becomes kind of um, an example for how how Putin was able to you know to to ref, ref, kind of reformulate a new strong assertive Russian national identity. Um, but when you look and, and how I describe it in, 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 in the book, in Fluid Russia, when you look at the kind of traditions that developed around uh, this Putin's Victory Day, let's call it Putin's Victory Day, they're very much in line with, with global trends. They're very individualized, they're very personalized. Um, people who follow the new traditions, the new rituals of Victory Day. So, for instance, there is the Immortal Regiment, which is people are marching with photos of their relatives who who, who perished and who died in the in the war, or veterans who, who perished who died since then. Um, and, and this is an extremely kind of late modern, personalized, global way to celebrate the holidays. My holidays, my family, it's my history. Uh, and yet we are together. 
So in that way, it's, it, 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 is, it, it is very successful. Yes, he is very successful. And I mean, he's actually taking over this, this ritual, but, but he doesn't really change. He doesn't really reform, reformulate the society. The society remains very integrated into, into global trends. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I can see, see why he would take on the calendar, as you said, it's such a shared experience by everyone. And when it comes to fluidity, I also think of Putin, he's, he's a judo expert. He's really good at, at taking uh, things that come towards him and then using them in, in the best way that, that benefits him. And so using that analogy, you know, the media reports kind of coming full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning, the media reports in the West, uh, they have Putin as, you know, this aggressive leader, isolationist leader. And what I think is fascinating about your book, the conclusions in your book, that we actually have to understand that uh, Putin is trying to have Russia be part of the global world, that, that Putin's regime is built on integration with global financial markets, and that its aggression from the, the Western point of view is actually in Putin's own mind, he's striving for international recognition rather than being isolationist. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, uh, what I'm trying to encourage to encourage the readers in in the conclusions of the book is to is to stop seeing this as kind of well, actually, is is to stop seeing Putin as an outside player that there is some kind of global order and he tries to undermine globalization. He tries to uh, be at the forefront of a populist wave to undermine sort of the post Cold War global order. The post Second World War global order, or there are so many there are so many formulations to it. But actually, what I try to encourage uh, readers to see is how he is intrinsic to this order. Yes, I mean he was born out of the insufficiencies of globalization. He never uh, fully um, took Russia outside this context because I mean his regime is built on being part of it. Yes, he's deriding it. Yes, he's mocking. He's mocking the international uh, kind of Western liberal order. But he 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 has to have it. This is his. I mean this he can't he can't sort of exist without it. And you mentioned the financial markets. This is an extremely important thing. The offshoreization of the Russian economy, um, and. Um, and I mean, when you look now with the escalation in Ukraine, it's so curious for me that uh, the recent escalation now, um, it's so curious for me that um, all the Western analysts, the, indeed, they, they speak in this tone of here putting this aggressive leader who tries, you know, pushes more and more the West and kind of more and more isolationist in his own world. And actually all the Russian um, analysts, all the Russian commentators, whether they're liberal or conservative, whether on Putin's side or opposition, they all say, well, actually what he wants is he wants to get some recognition that he is an international leader, that he, you know, he wants this phone call with Joe Biden, he wants to meet with him, he wants to get, um, he wants to get this recognition. Um, and I think that this kind of, I think this kind of should challenge us also to think not only not to think of just Putin as a leader, that he's not an outside force that attacks globalization from the, from the outside, but rather also not to think of kind of that there is the national and there is the global and these are two poles, yes, and that there is like kind of a swing between them, that you have Putin on the one hand and you have Biden, who is more like liberal globalist leaders, but actually that maybe it's a dialectic, yes, it's not one or the other, it's, it's a struggle, it's a dialectic within within the kind of globalization in which, in which we currently live. Yes, yes. 
Well, I'm so grateful that you've written this book, that you've spent years of research uh, creating it, and because it does, uh, you know, the, the, the conclusion is counterintuitive, particularly, you know, seeing the Western media reports, you, you, you think particularly with this Ukrainian situation that, you know, an invasion is imminent and, you know, we're on the cusp of, you know, a, a new uh, hot cold war or maybe even a real war. Um, so there's a lot of saber rattling and your book kind of gives us the much larger picture that can only enhance understanding. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, the fact that, I, I mean, again, this is, an, and I, I said it in the beginning, but I'm going to repeat it, is that this doesn't whitewash Putin, yes? This doesn't say that what he does is all right. Um, and the book is actually very critical of a lot of things that any, I think, reasonable freedom, you know, loving person um, would, would be critical of. Um, and, this, and, you know, the, the aggression in Ukraine happened and the annexation of Crimea happened. The incursion in East Ukraine happened. All these things, you know, the, the, the um, I mean, use of chemical weapons on British, I am based in London on, on British territory. So all these things happened. It's just that we, we need to understand their context. Yes. So all these crimes happened and maybe he will invade Ukraine. Yes, maybe he will. But the context is that he is not, he's doing it because he has to almost, because if he doesn't, then he's like an anthema. He's out, you know, he becomes a nobody. Why does he have to do it? Because he, he was born out of this, in my opinion, he was born out of this dialectic. He was born out of this struggle. And if he doesn't continue, Yes, it's sort of, and I'm sure that he is, he is a Galian in his understanding because he was, he was raised in the Soviet Union. So this is an understanding of history, of history as a, as, as a dialectic, as a struggle. And he has to fulfill this place. And if he doesn't fulfill this place, he believes that that's it. He will, he will perish. He will disappear. He will, will, he will become nobody. Someone else will replace him to continue that struggle. Yes. So he has to, he almost has to take this role. Um, and when you listen to how he speaks about Russia and Russia's mission and his mission, I, I believe him. He thinks that, you know, he, he, he has a certain mission and if he doesn't fulfill it in history, then he has no place in history. Got it, I got it. Yeah, so this is, this is what I was going at as far as, this is what I was wanting to tap into, that, that this other perspective that, that we can't understand because we're blinded by our own ideologies and our own viewpoints to be able to bridge that gap. And obviously neither side uh, in the conflict is an angel, even though they think they might be, or they're on the side of the good and the other side, you know, this is a classic war. Whoever, whoever wins gets to write the history. Yeah. But to be able to see that other perspective, um, I think is fascinating. And uh, we need more of this type of analysis. So thank Great. you for writing this book, <laughs> Fluid Russia Between the Global and the National and the Post-Soviet Era. It was such a, a great pleasure speaking with you, Vera. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this. That was Vera Michelin Shapir, author of Fluid Russia Between the Global and the National in the Post-Soviet Era. 
If you'd like to read Vera's new book, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSANNOUNCE and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. <laughs>